podcast for a day on planet earth. This is my first ever interview so thank you for listening. Today I spoke with Francesca DeMarco who is an actress, dancer and singer. I've known Francesca for most of my life and I'm lucky to have her as my first speaker today. We dive right into our conversation today and discuss the highs and lows of working in entertainment, but also the trials and tribulations of it. And so we asked ourselves, how does entertainment impact the environment, but how does it help us? What can individuals working in entertainment do to help the environment? And on a wider scale, how can the entertainment industry help minimise the damage done? And like I said, we jumped right into this conversation so it's a quick starter enjoy and thank you for listening and you've only just got back into the uk which is so exciting so i just want to know about first of all the latest venture you just went on i need you to tell everyone about it because it's like the most exciting thing i've heard about in the past year (laughs) so i was working on a cruise ship as a host and an actor And I also was doing a lot of singing as well by the end of it. Um, And we started, I flew out last April Mm -hmm. to the ship after three weeks rehearsal. And I joined the ship in India and didn't really get off a lot for the first few weeks because we were still in rehearsals and stuff like that. But by the time I started getting off um, the ship, we made our way around to Europe. And I think one of my earliest memories is of Slovenia um, on a Saturday and it was a bit rainy because it was still kind of like early spring. Um, but yeah, and then we did um, the kind of eastern side of the Med. And then we headed back over to Asia and we started doing Thailand. And we did Malaysia, Singapore, Vietnam, Cambodia. Um, and then, yeah, I came back in February just as the start of the pandemic was coming back to the UK. <laughs> We'd obviously already experienced it very much in in malaysia and thailand and we're already going through these kind of temperature checks and stuff but yeah i came back in february and life on land has been very different you wanted a rest after that year but you didn't think you'd get this much of a rest (laughs) exactly like i'm very i'm kind of trying to rather than sitting at home and being frustrated that i'm not out exploring the world Mm. i'm trying to adapt a mindset of soaking it all in because i know that when i'm on a ship and i've been there for a few months and i start to get tired all i want to be is at home yeah yeah so i'm trying to like soak it in yeah and really like make the most of it and then when i am back out exploring i can be like it's okay like i know i'm gonna get home you know yeah when as and when but yeah it was it was absolutely incredible and and the most incredible year like there's just not really words for some of the things that I did some of the things that I yeah saw. tell me about some of the things those moments where you just stood there and thought I need to grasp onto this yeah there definitely are a few and I think the one of them that sticks out the most is um we sailed past we sailed down past the bottom of mm-hmm. Italy um and we went past Stromboli the volcano mm. and the cruise director at the time was someone who really liked doing like big parties and events and she's fantastic at them. And we did this big volcano party. I mean, the volcano had entrance music. That's how like <laughs> extra this party was. So extra. <laughs> yeah. And I stood with my very, very, very good friend and we looked at this volcano and the, the sky was black and the stars were so bright and the moon 
and the red lava just pouring out of this active volcanoes and you watched it go down the side and into the sea and then you saw the stars above it and it was like glowing orange and I literally just looked at him and I went this is why Mm. this is why we're here this is this is it and it was amazing I mean I don't think many people can say that they've watched a volcano erupt um, from the ocean no that was incredible there was um I climbed a mountain in Langkawi as well it's the steepest cable car in the world and I climbed a mountain that was slightly higher than the cable car took me about two months to recover (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm being genuine as well genuine two weeks I came back to Langkawi in two weeks time I was still a little bit sore um, but it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and Couture is one of the most beautiful mm. places in the world. It's a fjord in Montenegro and you can climb it. And I think that was my profile picture for a long time was just me there grinning at the top. And oh. interestingly, like a lot of my highlights are to do with the, there are highlights in terms of like things that happened on the ship and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But the highlights that stick out most are ones like that. And then when we went to see Petra and Jordan as well, mm-hmm. you know, moments that have to do with the place and, and the, and the destinations are kind of those memories that you think I'll never forget when that happened. And when you have these moments of just, you know, you're so grateful for everything you're seeing and you're trying to soak it all in and, everything is so extra and you've got all this music going on. Do you think there is ever a point where you are seeing the waste or is is anything bothering you at that moment? Because, you know, when we're on holiday and we're living our lives and we're doing all these great things, we don't find ourselves thinking about the damage that can be done because this is such an important part of your life. So do you think you had any moments of noticing that or feeling anything about it definitely when I first got on the ship I remember like walking through the kind of bowels of the ship like Mm. deck zero deck one and feeling like I was inside the most capitalist machine Mm -hmm. like I remember I remember getting on and thinking I don't know if I'm gonna cope because the greed and the the commercialism of cruising just slapped me in the face when I first got on. And you look at this buffet and you see these people just loading their plates and then, then like, eating half of it and and just leaving the plate, not even giving it, you know, Mm -hmm. to the guys who are clearing the restaurant, just leaving the plate for someone else to pick up and, and walking away. And you kind of... I did, I had to swallow it. I had to go, okay, that's how life is here. And they have these little signs like, you know, please don't take more than you need to and stuff like that. But inevitably it still happens. And even in like crew metals, Mm -hmm. you know, same thing. So I, you know, I asked myself like, how do you cater for, you know, 3000 people when you if you can't allow them to take the food themselves you yeah know? and that's a big thing as well with the virus you know in terms of spread of infection and stuff like that's something that they're looking at now so maybe going forward that's something that will be resolved um there is we did have quite a big environmental initiative i think something that people probably don't know about cruising is that every crew member when they get on board they go through a series of training mm-hmm. and one of those trainings is a sanitation training mm-hmm. so you learn what you're allowed on the ship and what you're not 
both in terms of infection, but also in terms of waste. So an example of that is makeup wipes. And you're not allowed those on, on a ship. Oh, okay. Um, why yeah. is that? Um, I think it's firstly to do with waste. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of rules in terms of waste, what you can and can't do. Yeah, and I guess they will only have a certain capacity to the waste systems on board. Yeah. Exactly. But also the people like to put things down a toilet on a cruise ship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the toilet get blocked and if you block one toilet you block three toilets because they're all on a connected system Mm -hmm. um so in terms of sanitary products as well like that's a big thing on ships um i mean there are lots lots of girls lots of dancers as well have to use tampons for shows um i personally can't stand them just the idea of putting them in my body just doesn't work (laughs) for me i hate it say no Um, to plastic in the body yeah (laughs) not about that life um but I did, um, you know, I get it. I, I've done my share of ballet classes. And when you're doing backflips on stage, like you want an element of security. Yeah. Wow. Also, the thing is, like, I have like moddy body and she thinks and stuff. They're mm-hmm. amazing. But when you're wearing like skimpy little costumes and having to do high kicks in them, like you can't be wearing this massive black, like fleece flannel. Yeah. So, you know, there are there are moon cuts and stuff like that but I just think we're not at a stage yet where that's been adapted and is the norm and and people are you know dancers bodies are scrutinized massively and getting up close and personal with your body and being able to be okay with that's a big part of using something like a mm-hmm. moon cut that's um, actually a really interesting point because we're talking a lot more now about plastic free periods yeah. and that's an area that we haven't explored dancers yeah. people in the arts how do yeah. they deal with it? Because they, like you said, they have costumes where they can't wear the Modi pants. I've had the Modi knickers sponsored all over my Instagram lately because I've been looking into plastic-free periods. But, yeah, yeah what are you going to do? I mean, there must be some cases where you guys can't even wear underwear. You're wearing such tight, yeah. leotard, like, different when clothing. when you're given the list of stuff that you need to buy, yeah. songs on there, nude songs <laughs> yeah. on that list. Wow. <laughs> and I went and bought them because I was like, oh my God. First of all, I bought them way too big, so massively uncomfortable. My mum was like, buy these. I was like, please no. Um, but secondly, I didn't actually need them because I wasn't doing all that stuff, but I just bought them. So I was like, oh, what if I do need them? What mm-hmm. if I am going to be wearing this kind of costume? Um, but yeah, like... It's, it's massive. It's a massive deal. And I would say that, you know, if, if I was in that position, I would be using my moon cup. Yeah. I don't use it very often because um, I find it, I've had it for four years and I still struggle with it a little bit. And yeah. I think I bought like one of the first ones that came out. And I think if I bought a different one now, I might find it easier because I think the one that I bought was just like the first type. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think there are more now that kind of suit different people's bodies and stuff. Um, so that's probably something I will do. I love Moddy Body. I have to say, when you're on a cruise, they're not the best thing because um, you obviously only have a limited amount of space to hang things and you share a cabin. Yeah. So I would I would hang them inside my wardrobe and when my roommate wasn't there, like I'd like take them out and hang them in the shower and stuff. Like I didn't hide them from her. Like It wasn't like that. It was just a case of like being respectful around other people's space. Like mm-hmm. you've got a plenty cabin bathroom for two of you um and yeah so it and also they're hot and when you're working in the heat 
that's another thing with dancers yeah. and, and periods like you you sweat like yeah. sometimes girls would come up to me and be like feel the back of my neck feel the back of my neck and you feel wow. it and it would literally be like they just stepped out the shower wow but this is yeah. the point so with you're limited from wearing your choice of underwear because you're putting ball gowns and everything else and Say if you, I don't know if you want to tell me about them, if you have any ethical preferences to makeup or whatever, but there could be limitations to your preferences because they're not just telling you what to wear, they're also telling you what to put on your face and how to, what to put in your hair. Yeah, totally. I mean, when I was a sort of teenager, everyone was obsessed with MAC. MAC was the thing yeah. that everyone wanted. And about five years ago... I made the decision not to buy any animal tested products. Like mm-hmm. I was done with animal tested products. But the thing is, when you're an actor and performer, nine times out of ten you work on a self-employed basis. Mm-hmm. So anything that you buy for your profession, you claim back on your tax return. Now, the thing is, you can only legally claim back things that you use solely for your business. So if I bought some makeup, I wouldn't be allowed to wear it, you know, on a night out with my friends. Mm-hmm. I, I would have to save it completely for shows. Um, and MAC is one of the brands that's highly regarded for, like, good stage makeup and is recognised on tax returns and stuff like that. Right. And I just completely boycotted MAC for years, mm. years, years. And... I wasn't doing a lot of shows, so it didn't make a massive amount of difference. Certainly not shows like the ones I did on the ship where I would need big makeup, big hair. Um, and also when you're abroad, one of the big things people told me is buy a you know, load of makeup and take it with you because you won't find the brands you like in Slovenia, in Malaysia, in you know all these mm-hmm. places. And then you're looking at different languages and you're trying to think, you know, does this say cruelty free on it? Yeah. And then you start trying to Google it, but you haven't got any 3G in that country. So you've got to go find Wi-Fi to come back. And like buying cruelty free cosmetics is really challenging, especially mm-hmm. when working on a ship or doing tours as well. You know, a lot of this stuff will apply for, for companies that are touring. Um, you know, there's a lot of like German education tours. That's a big thing in Germany is for British people to go over and do theatre and education. Um, Personally, like, I find that the quality of vegan and cruelty-free makeup doesn't match up to things like MAC. Yeah. I bought a MAC blush, not blusher, like, contour kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm because I couldn't find something that I that I was good for me. And mm-hmm. I literally, I walked around Corfu for two hours trying to find the right thing that's cruelty-free. And in the end, I thought, I'm going to have to buy a MAC one. And I did, yeah. and that's the first bit of MAC I have bought in years. And I hate it. I hate that I own it. Like, genuinely, I do. And I walk out of the shopping centre near me, and I have to walk past the MAC stand. And every time the girl says, oh, can I get you anything? I go, no, I'm really sorry, I don't buy MAC makeup. And they go, why is that? And I go, because it's tested on animals and because it's sold in China. And I just have to have that conversation every time. And nine times out of ten, they're like, yeah. But the the other thing is, like, makeup removal. Mm-hmm. So before I went on the ship, I took disposable, not disposable, sorry, um, washable makeup pads with me yeah. and so like I get my my you know makeup remover solution I put it on my pad and then I just put that in the washing machine and they are fantastic mm. I love those and I rate those and I just honestly think 
there is no excuse not to be using them. Like, I don't see an excuse unless you're allergic to them, Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous because they're just, you can buy them in so many different materials. I don't think there's an excuse not to be using them. Um, And I think, you know, I won't deny that there were people on the ship with makeup wipes. And if I was really struggling getting one bit of mascara off because you're caked and you've got lash glue across it, you know, I won't deny that I might have been like, mate, can I borrow a wipe? Yeah. But, the, but like, on a general day-to-day level, if I, who am doing shows every day, caked in makeup, can use these, then anyone can use them. Mm-hmm. And you can buy them off Amazon for, like, eight quid. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing. You know, and I heard this actress from Riverdale, um, she was saying that she takes her own makeup, her own makeup remover, her own hair products, everything. Her reasons are to keep her skin healthy because she gets breakouts if she doesn't use the same products every day. But it sounds like a luxury. It sounds like if you're in that industry, you've got to be quite demanding and probably quite famous to be able to have those kind of requirements when you walk on stage um so i can imagine you're walking around the streets you're trying to find a product that works when like you said that girl's sweating all over where are the products that you guys can use Mm. do you know any brands that are up to the standards of say mac or you know anything that just looks good behind the camera or on stage well i have got quite a bit no that's a lie i haven't got quite a bit i've got some and i intend to buy more okay smashbox makeup yeah yeah i bought i was bought like an eyeshadow palette Mm -hmm. and it's great and it's fantastic and then i bought a, a a contour palette and it was fantastic and that was actually what i was trying to replace when i had to end up buying the mac thing because i just Mm -hmm. couldn't find the right thing um and i think that's probably the first thing that comes to mind having said that i cannot sit here you might be able to tell me better but i cannot sit here and tell you 100 percent that i know for sure what their ethical process is and i think that finding out i think it's so difficult to actually know mm-hmm. what you're buying is vegan cruelty free or yeah. just ethical makeup like yeah. i think it's so hard it is to say that for sure because there's so much convoluted language when you click onto their web page and it's not like just straight up like yes we do test on animals no we don't mm-hmm. or you know yes this is vegan no it's not does this have palm oil in does it not like i think that's hard and i know that websites like um peter have you know got those mm-hmm. that like grids and stuff and i try and save them on my phone whenever i see them pop up i try and screenshot them and save them so that if i am in a shop you know i can i can find stuff um i did because we were in Malaysia and Singapore a lot, I did end up going into a lot of Sephora's. Yeah. And I know that the majority of the brands in Sephora are not cruelty-free. Mm-hmm. I know that. Um, there are one or two. There was one. I cannot remember the name of it. It's going to really bug me. But I saw their makeup and I fell in love with it. It was something like ocean-related. That was kind of the okay. name of the brand. I will try and remember it. And yeah. Then post it somewhere. Yeah. Um, but that was stunning. I don't know if it was any good. It certainly looked it. But the problem with all of this is it's three to five times the price. Yeah, the affordability is completely different. And it's and it's also to do with the fact that it's ethical. You know, if it's being 
made in the UK and it's not being made in China. The standards haven't been made lower to save money. Um, you're paying for the quality and the standards. And also, to, for a lot of brands, once they delve into becoming an ethical brand, they realise how broad it is and they go, oh, hang on, we're not just vegan. Now we also need to be ethically sourced. We need to be UK made. We need to have no toxins in the materials that we put in. Um, we need to be in our waste stream. We need to have compostability. Oh, now we need another certificate. We need to be plastic free. And you also have, even just to be vegan, you have hundreds of certification standards. So which one do you pick and which one do we trust? And uh, I found a lot of brands will have the plastic free mark on their beauty brand. And then because obviously I work for a plastic free company, I look into that certification scheme and it's not up to the standards that I would want. So then yeah. even after all of that, and you're looking at all these symbols on here and you're like, oh, ethical brand, great. You look into it and you're like, they don't even meet my standards. So yeah. it's incredibly difficult. I mean, it's a minefield. And you, and the thing is, like, I've got, I've got to a point in life where, like, I believe in so many causes. Like, I want to help so many things. And the environment is one of my, this the reason I went vegan, you mm -hmm. know, alongside not eating animals. Like, what? that that apart the first thing for me was the environment and mm -hmm. and you can't win every time yeah you can't and I think there has to always be an element of forgiveness yeah you know if you've bought something and under the impression that it was good and you've got it home and you found out that's not the case I I wouldn't waste it I would use it and I think there has to be an element of forgiveness involved mm -hmm. towards ourselves you know um, was vegan before I went on the ship. I got on the ship every day at about two, three o'clock. I would become debilitatingly tired. You know, mm -hmm. I'd be stood behind the microphone on the pool deck, forcing my eyes open. I wasn't getting the nutrients I needed. I realized that I was a baby vegan and my knowledge of vegan nutrition wasn't good enough to sustain veganism on the ship. Oh, trust me. I know I've been vegan for maybe seven, seven and a half years now and I'm, I'm still learning. Everyone's still learning. Yeah. Um, even the nutritionists are racking their brain with it. So, yeah, I can imagine. But that's another thing, like more and more dancers. Yeah. Uh, and I say dancers specifically because it's usually it tends to be more people who are really, really fit in the performance industry. Mm -hmm. They're more and more of them turn into veganism. Mm -hmm. um, actually, a, a health thing um, as opposed to anything else. And I do know a guy who was on the ship with me. Um, and in training, when we were in rehearsals, we'd pop off to Greg's and get our vegan sausage rolls together. Uh, <laughs> but he was vegan purely for weight loss. Yeah. For weight loss. And yeah. you'd sit in and watch him eat, like, four slices of bread and a plate of chips and think, what? that's not... I know. Not, oh. Yeah. That's the biggest mistake, yeah. to move to processed foods. Oh, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. But okay. what, so what I also wanted to ask you was, um, we've, from our discussion, you can clearly see that this isn't just a cruise problem. This is people's behaviour, 
wider industries, when people even go to any all-inclusives, it's like, I've paid to eat what I want. I've paid to have any entertainment I want. I live a locally sourced, more ethical, low carbon footprint lifestyle for the rest of my year. But in this two weeks that I'm here at this all-inclusive, I've paid my bit, I'm gonna live like a king. And I think that's the problem is if you're working on a ship, you're, you are seeing these people coming in and off the ship all the time. And to you, it's like, wow, this world is just here all the time in, you know, riding around the world. When in reality, that's maybe once in a lifetime opportunity for those people. Um, yeah. So that's, I can imagine that's hard for you to work with, but. It is. And we, I think a, a funny example of this, I say funny, it's not funny, it's horrific, <laughs> but like, I had to laugh at it. Yeah. So we give out prizes when uh, people win quizzes and yeah. game shows and stuff. And we, when we got on, the prize was uh, a br the name of the, the cruise company name, branded metal uh, drinking straws in a pouch. It was a Hessian pouch with a pipe. <laughs> Okay, so it's two straws in, in a pouch. And, you know, you go, hey, you've won a pair of branded reusable metal straws. And then I'd always be like, saving the sea one sip at a time, you know, and kind of having that banter about it. And yeah. we were, I, I did a very long contract. I did 10 and a half months at sea and I couldn't have been allowed to stay much longer mm -hmm. um, uh, legally, just in terms of how much time you're allowed to spend at sea without being on land. And um, by the end of it, I was getting to a point where people were saying, how are you? And I'm just going, still here. <laughs> I, I, was, I was so, my contract was extended. I was so ready to come home. I was so tired. You don't get a day off. Yeah. Anyway, I was in that frame of mind of like, you just got to laugh, otherwise you're going to cry yeah. kind of situation. And we got delivered a new box of, of these straws and we opened them. And not only did they now only have one straw in each pack, but the, the bags were bigger, so more material was being used. And each mm -hmm. one was now wrapped in plastic. Oh, I've had this problem so many times. And I literally was like, I'm oh, I know, I know. And our, our, our cruise director even said, like, make sure you do not let anyone see that plastic. Like, it all just went in the bin. And then we take out onto stage as if it had never been wrapped in plastic. This is the problem with these with packaging this is the problem i've worked with hotels recently who did the same they were like right we'll move from plastic straws to metal straws the customers will love it um yeah. and as soon as they did that they realized every single one was individually wrapped someone in the management team went who cares it's customer facing they don't see it and the other person went no we can't do this we're trying to cut down our plastic waste yeah um oh. interesting my stepdad um and my granddad um, actually work in packaging. Mm. My granddad owned a packaging company and my stepdad is now the CEO of a European packaging company. I did and, not know this. Yeah. Okay. Um, got into the old family business. <laughs> and um, it's, he knows a lot about plastic. Yeah. And he gets, we've, we, we didn't use to recycle because we didn't have the facility. And now that we are, sometimes I'm on autopilot and I put it in the wrong bin. I put something in the wrong bin and he gets really miffed with me. Rightly so. And um, and I'll say to him, like, is this recyclable? Because I won't know. And he'll know, like, 
it's this kind of plastic, mm-hmm. so no, this kind of, and that's kind of a big problem that I see generally, obviously not just in our industry, is that there are so many different kinds of plastic that break yeah. down differently. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Bob from Croydon, who's a plumber, he wants to recycle because he's a good guy and he's trying to make an effort. How is he supposed to know that? Yeah. You know, there's no, like, education or easily accessible information on this. Like, if you had a 20-second YouTube video that gave someone a really simple snippet of information that was like an ad before a video, so many people would see that and so mm-hmm. many people would be better educated on how to recycle better. Yeah, yeah. The symbols on packaging at the moment aren't doing anything for the consumer and it's actually taking the accountability and the responsibility away from the manufacturers and the brands who are choosing to package um, their materials with toxic materials. But um, you mean we will keep fighting we will. to change this. And uh, there's so many different ways to do it. I will post um, a different articles and lists on how, what we can do to help change and who can we support, who can we maybe boycott. Um, uh-huh. But that's another conversation. Yeah. Um, so when we're looking at you know, what cruise ships can do, um, I'm racking my brain around what you guys and the people in your industry and the people in the arts, what they can do um, to help the environment if they want to. Um, All I know so far is I went to a conference recently which was with a company called Necton and they have a program called Yachts for Science. So obviously the yacht industry, the billionaires who have super yachts, they all come um and they talk about all these great new yachts that they've built recently and they've gone around the world and it's it's amazing for them all they're all celebrating it but then they're also addressing the fact that they've got a bad name the yacht industry has such a bad name in the world especially right now um and something needs to change so at the moment a parallel problem is that scientists when they're researching they're trying to grab all this funding together to do marine research around the world. And because of that, they have to buy old vessels to then work on and then go to their different locations around the world and then do the marine research just to collect the data. And it's too much money. And funding for research is so difficult. There's no money in it. So at the moment, we've got this Yachts for Science, which is basically Tinder for yacht owners and marine scientists. And it's where you can just say, okay, I'm, I need to go to the Maldives and I'm going to be scuba diving to look after, to collect data for manta rays. Um, I'm going to be there for 12 weeks in July and all I need is a room, uh, a place to put my diving equipment and as a plus for you guys, we'll give you scuba diving lessons for you and all your family and friends that come on the yacht. And then a yacht owner will go, oh, I'm free. You can come and sail yeah. my yacht. Amazing. And then that's it. That's their Tinder match done. And it's been the most successful thing I've ever seen so far. So innovative. Yeah, it is. It's That's incredible. Mm. And that's such a good use of like resources. It does so it does so much good for the yacht industry as well because it allows it to be a more sustainable industry. Yeah. But but also in terms of 
research and finding different ways to fund fund that research which is so important that's incredible I kind of wish I had a yacht now so that I could (laughs) have some scientists on board and you know there's nothing to stop the cruise industry doing something similar there is nothing you're right you're so right yeah and you know in in kind of with regards to the pandemic and the cruise industry as a travel industry as opposed to as an entertainment industry um and uh, an airline emirates my uncle's an emirates pilot have done some amazing things in terms of delivering aid mm-hmm. food stuff like that yeah um and you know that i can't remember what cruise line it was i want to say carnival it might mm-hmm. not have been um you know they filled a ship with with uh different kinds of aid and they and they sailed it and and you know people are responding to something that's such a pressing issue but when people don't think of the environment as a pressing issue that's when they're not responding in ways that they could there's mm-hmm. so much that that the cruise industry could do like that you know i mean you can't scuba dive off a cruise ship but but there's, there's something there will be something there's, yeah there's definitely something in there that you can do and you know we have all these like electric cars and stuff like that I don't know anything about cruise ship engines, really. I mean, I know a little bit because we had a fire on board our <laughs> ship, so I know I know a little bit about transformers and raw yeah, energy and yeah. stuff. But but I don't know about the sustainability of them. I know that cruise ships use tons and tons of petrol. Mm-hmm. There are ways they try and make themselves sustainable. Like it's completely illegal to throw anything overboard, mm-hmm. even a cigarette butt. It's completely illegal. I didn't actually know that before I boarded a ship. So I think that's the thing that maybe people don't realise is that if you are found throwing something overboard, yeah. um, you are personally responsible for it legally, not yeah. not the cruise company. Um, so, yeah, but in terms of, like, actual sustainability as an industry, there's there's definitely in space for initiatives like that going mm-hmm. forward. I, I, From my experience, anyway, I, I can't see why that kind of thing couldn't be kind of adapted to a cruise industry setting both in terms of environmental science and then linking to kind of like engineering science and sustainable engineering for cruise ships Mm -hmm. um because if there are those programs in place i certainly don't know about them and i've been on a cruise ship for the most part of the year yeah 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 well as a last point is there anything you think you could do or other people in your industry could do as an on an individual basis not on a wider industry not on a wider scale yeah um well i think that there are shows political theater is massive Mm -hmm. you know there's there's not a, a show there is a show out there that doesn't address something political i'm sure but my point is there is so much politics in theater we're a massively political community. Um, and I put out a tweet and I was like, guys, anyone think of any examples of, you know, how theatres help the environment? And I haven't got that many followers, but of my followers, about 200 of them are definitely theatre people. And not a single person provided me with anything. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh my God, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, That's heartbreaking. So it got me thinking, and there are theatres that do have a massive kind of, uh, policy in terms of being environmentally friendly. One of them I can think of off the top of my head is the Arcola Theatre. Mm-hmm. And I have done a show there. 
uh, in the past and it's a great theatre. Um, and if more theatres can, you know, kind of take on some of those policies, that'd be amazing. As of around 2008, 2010 kind of time, theatres do have to kind of make reports in terms of their carbon footprint and stuff like that. But on an individual basis, I think I was thinking about this and I was like, what do I wish I had? What knowledge do I wish I had? And I would love to have had a module at drama school. And when I say a module, I literally mean two hours Mm -hmm. out of the whole year where someone sat us down and went, look, these are the environmental issues that the industry faces. Just an awareness, just a basic Mm -hmm. awareness. And then these are the small ways that you can help. So things like a bamboo toothbrush, things like this is how girls, you you can take your makeup off in a more sustainable way. Boys, this is how you can shave in a more sustainable way. Um, And then you can get get products that create these sustainable, you know, brands to to sponsor that kind of lesson and to send in samples to to drama schools. And I think if we start, A, making people aware and B, providing people with an access to action, we can start building from the ground up a new sustainable way of being in theatre. You know, can we get theatres to sponsor solar panels? Because the amount Mm -hmm. of energy used to light a set is crazy. Um, And, you know, people taking public transport to get into London. I mean, it's massive for the economy. The theatre industry contributes upwards of six billion a year to, to our economy. So we can't get rid of it. But, but we can make it more sustainable and give it longevity in terms of our environment. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, I, when I had to think about, about something like this, I was like, I think it would be great to do that. The most we were ever asked at drama school is please don't bring plastic bottles. <laughs> can we brand, can we make a brand that provides metal or, or whatever kind of bottles for students doing dance classes that, you know, also has all the other products that we've spoken about, you know, the moon cups for girls and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think that if we make people more conscious on a day-to-day basis in terms of the little things they do, like brushing their teeth, we can, and this goes for any industry, I suppose, we make them more awake to the bigger things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so yeah, that's, that's what I think. I think we can maybe ask ourselves how theatres can be more sustainable in terms yeah. of plastic cups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But then, start with our graduates who are training right now mm-hmm. make them aware provide them with small actions and um, and keep doing that and then in 20 years time we have a, a company of worldwide actors who are aware and uh, and care about the the environment in terms of our industry yeah yeah I think everything you said was on point to be honest start small and start from the learners the beginners yeah give them the knowledge as soon as they're educated they'll care a little bit more and as soon as you're aware you can you can't shut pandora's box after that it's just in your face every day um and and i i commend you for what you do honestly i i find that music completely changes the way i look at the environment and i think you know even david attenborough's blue planet the orchestra uh, is what gives you the shivers. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, I was even listening to a new album the other day, 1975 brought out one. Um, called Notes on a Conditional Form, and their first song was Greta. It was her speech on, uh, yeah, on carbon emissions and what you can do as an individual and how we need to fight now. I listened to that speech maybe five times, maybe five times, and this is the first time I've listened to it and it gave me shivers. And it was because 1975 had put backing music to it. It just completely changed the whole tone for me. Um, and I know because of that, that music, the arts, drama, everything is, is doing a lot. You're doing a hell of a lot more than you realise you're doing just being in that industry. I hope so. I think for me like it's kind of inconceivable to me how anyone can exist without it mm -hmm. you know the people the few people on the planet who say oh i don't like music or i hate the theater yeah. and i'm like okay like you clearly have reasons for that but it's who we are as people you yeah. look at look at the stories your mum tell told you before you went to bed at night that's that's storytelling and that's what we do and by telling stories and each other's stories by understanding each other's stories um that's how we form a better community and music dates back longer than we can remember music is so part of who we are as a as a you know as a species mm -hmm. um it's very much in our blood from you know drums around the fire as cavemen yeah. to the royal opera house and all the modern musicals and the 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 Rammstein, which is like a German metal band, like all of it, like yeah. it's all part of, of who we are and our planet gave us that. Yeah. And, you know, we need to, we need to respect that. Definitely. Well, I think that's a wonderful point to end on. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. You know, I, I love talking to you all the time. 